Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment from Fulton County Schools, Superintendent Dr. Mike Looney joins me to talk about COVID-19 protocols in place when students and staff return on Monday. Plus, Lisa Simmons has already hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, guess what? Now the Atlanta-based business executive is ready for another trek, this time in an ancient city in Peru. Why she does it, you'll find out later in the program. But we'll begin with this. A press conference addressing crime, addressing COVID-19, today took place earlier inside City Hall. Speaking, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, Atlanta police officials, and infectious disease specialist Dr. Carlos Del Rio. As it relates to the pandemic, Mayor Bottoms talked about the recent decision to re-implement an indoor mask mandate. We were beginning our phased reopening plan. We have been data-driven from the very beginning. These have not been decisions related to COVID that we've made based on a whim. It's been based on the science and the data. Fulton County and DeKalb County, uh, in which Atlanta lies, have been designated by the CDC as areas of high transmission. Um, You all also know we had a five-phase reopening plan. We were making great progress. Uh, We were almost, I believe, were we at phase four? We were at phase four. Uh, But with the surge in the Delta variant, we've gone backwards. And we've always said that we would follow the data. And we are very close to going back to phase two. Now, also speaking, Dr. Carlos Del Rio, who has been a medical advisor to the city, often heard on this program and nationally as well, he stressed the importance of Georgians getting vaccinated. Of the about 4 million people vaccinated in the state, there have been close to 5,000 people who've tested positive. 118 have been hospitalized and just 24 have died of COVID. Thus, if you're fully vaccinated, if you receive your two doses, and you've done two weeks after your two dose, so you let your body the time to produce the, the immunoglobulins, et cetera, your risk of being hospitalized or die from COVID is about 0.002%. So it's about the risk you have about, you know, walking outside and getting hit by lightning. It's pretty low. The other issue, Atlanta's continuing increase in violent crimes. Here's Atlanta Police Chief Rodney Bryant. Right now, overall crime is up 12% uh, in the city, which majority of that being around property crime. We're actually 11% down as it relates to where we were in 2019, the most stabilizing year, and it uh, gives us the ability to address a baseline. We attribute this, to again, to our summer plan 
and which allowed us to expand our personnel into more targeted locations where we were seeing historical incidences of crime. APD officials also talked about the recent murder of Catherine Janice and her dog Bowie inside Piedmont Park. Investigators have released security cam photos of people they'd like to speak with who may have information or witness something related to the homicide. Now back to the pandemic, the head of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention right here in Atlanta says the Delta variant of the coronavirus has driven infection rates to levels higher than those during last summer's surge. Dr. Rochelle Olinsky says the current spike in new infections shows that COVID-19 isn't done battering the country even this far into the pandemic. And CDC data show the rolling average of new infections jumped 44 percent just in the last week. Walensky says unvaccinated people are most at risk from the highly transmissible Delta variant and parts of the U.S. with less vaccination coverage are seeing worse outbreaks. As for Georgia, Georgia still hovering around that 40 percent fully vaccination rate and at least 46 percent of Georgians have at least one dose. In other news, Morehouse is Atlanta's latest HBCU to clear outstanding student balances since the spring 2020 semester. Officials say the move is meant to help students who suffered financial hardships during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Clark Atlanta University and Spelman College already announced they clear balances from the last five semesters. And officials with all three schools say they use federal COVID relief aid and private donations to cover the balances. And finally, it appears Atlanta Hawks and star point guard Trey Young have reached a balance, an agreement that will keep Young in a Hawks uniform for some time. According to ESPN, Young signed a five-year contract extension worth more than $200 million for five years. Young's agent confirmed the deal with ESPN on Monday. The contract extension picks up in the 22-23 season and runs throughout the 26-27 NBA season. Young, just 22 years old, helped lead the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, averaging about 29 points in the playoff run. Way to go, Trey. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. While some area students return to school this week, Fulton County school students are enjoying eh, maybe one last week before they start next Monday. School districts throughout Georgia and, of course, throughout the nation are implementing their own safety measures, including with mask mandates or without. We continue speaking with area superintendents because you all out there, the community, asked for it, and we believe it's important as well. So joining us now from Georgia's fourth largest school district, I still think it's the fourth largest Fulton County School Superintendent, Dr. Mike Looney. Welcome back to the program. Well, good afternoon. It's always good to be on your program and speak to your audience about issues that are important to them. Y'all still fourth largest? 
<laughs> we are still the fourth largest. All right. Well, before we get into what you all were were doing and, and coming up with this plan, let's just talk about this time last year and now. And, and Dr. Uh, Superintendent Looney, how are you feeling regarding Monday? It's a different feeling. I know students are coming back, educators, staff. How are you feeling? Well, I'm excited about the return of our students. I, I will say I'm a little bit anxious, obviously, about the surge, the current spike that we're experiencing COVID-19. Uh, I happened to be at a school this morning and talked to a, a school's faculty. They're excited. They're enthusiastic. They're looking forward to the return of their students. Um, and we are going to make the most out of a, another challenging year, it appears. And as of right now, Superintendent Looney, to your knowledge, all the schools are slated to open with in-person instruction. Uh, there hasn't been an outbreak that might prevent a school, any of the schools from reopening? No, we, we intend to open on Monday for all of our students. Um, we, we have been this summer, uh, you know, doubling down on, on our safety precautions, making sure that we're ready for, for our students' return on Monday. Of course, you never know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we still have the balance of the week. But at this point in time, we're all set to go on Monday morning. And before we dissect Fulton's plan, what metrics, what data did you all use to come up with the plan? You just heard Mayor Bottoms talking about following the science. And then so many folks have been saying that, obviously, since all this began. But for a school district and a large school district, you all have to take a lot in consideration. Take our listeners through the process that you used here. Well, thank you. Obviously, we confer with the Fulton County Board of Health. They have been invaluable partners. Um, you just... Uh, had Dr. Del Rio on. I personally speak to Dr. Del Rio from time to time. We, we work with our partners at the Georgia Department of Public Health, um, our local hospitals, uh, epidemiologists that we have access to. And then of course, we continue to follow uh, the changes that the CDC um, is, is developing as time passes. Speaking of the CDC, has it been a little challenging in, in sometimes the messaging, particularly these last, what was this list at the beginning of this year to now? You know, there was this whole push right before 4th of July. Okay, if you're vaccinated, you can take your mask off. And then the back and forth. Has that been a little confusing for folks like you who are in a position that you have to make a decision? Let's be really clear. You and your, you and your folks have to make a decision that impacts people's quality of life. How challenging has that been with all the back it's, and forth? Yeah, thank you for that, Rose. It's extremely challenging to operate in an environment that I call like quicksand. Uh, you know, as soon as you feel like you got your footing and you got a good plan, something changes. And I would like to think that we're all, all public institutions are, you know, basing every decision they have on, on science. And I, I believe that's true. But one thing about the CDC is they're looking at it from a national perspective. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we have tried to do in Fulton County is look at it in the context of what's happening here locally, here in Fulton County schools specifically, and in the municipalities that, that make up our, our beautiful school system. How much have you been paying attention then to, and obviously Fulton County has been one of those counties throughout all of this, and obviously it makes sense because of the population. You look at Fulton County and DeKalb and some of the other counties that have been at the top in terms of confirmed cases, hospitalizations, and death. You all have been paying attention to that. Yes, we, we track the data um, multiple times each week. Um, we are, are we have an executive task force that manages COVID-19 management, and so they're in constant contact with the Fulton County Board of Health, local hospitals conferring. Uh, you know, we're, we participate in the contact tracing that's happening uh, as it relates to school district cases. So 
I, I would say we're knee deep in, in analyzing data and, and in the conversations that happen around COVID management. Superintendent Looney, will masks be mandated for students, educators, and staff in the buildings come Monday? So uh, thank you for that question. So um, we have three priorities um, as we approach the school year. First is to ensure the safety and, and welfare of our students, staff members, and visitors. Secondly, we have learned how important it is to provide students with high quality face-to-face instruction and then finally, we live in a very diverse, beautifully diverse community, uh, which includes ideological uh, diversity. And so our parents uh, indicate that they want as much choice as, as we can provide them in these conditions. So our, our strategy is um, we want masks to be optional when we can determine that masks being optional is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, we have decided that when the spread of COVID-19 uh, gets to 100 cases per 100,000 residents in any specific municipality that the schools in that municipality will be required to enforce masking because mm-hmm. the level of spread is high. Or if a municipality declares a mask mandate uh, for their specific community. So we're not, we're not going to um, follow the same practice that we did last year, mm-hmm. and that is to have a district-wide approach because the level of spread in each of our communities is very different. The density in different communities is different. And so we're gonna take a, 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 a more refined approach to masking and safety protocols in the upcoming year. Considering that there are siblings obviously within the school district, um, some may high school, elementary, middle school, is that a concern for you? Because that now you can't control what happens outside of Fulton County schools, obviously. But one listening may say, well, Considering that you have siblings, is that a concern for you? Because then you have a, a, a elementary school student who might be in, in an area that doesn't have a high risk, but maybe the high, the sibling in the high school does, and then they're in that same household. Can you understand folks being yeah, concerned about great. that? Sure, great question. Now, once again, we're, we're going to base our masking decisions on municipal spread. Mm-hmm. And so our, all of our schools are in clusters, and they happen to fall in one of the cities. And so by using the city data... Um, it would be essentially the cluster of schools, elementary, middle, and high school, in that particular municipality that would either be masking or unmasking. Will students who are on the buses and the bus drivers, will they, are you making masks optional as well, or is that a mandate? No, masks are mandatory on school buses. There's actually a federal order mm-hmm. that says any public conveyance is required to mandate masks. And that's, and that's an example of one of the frustrations and challenges that we have mm-hmm. in, in making these decisions. Masks are mandatory on school buses, but the CDC says masks are recommended in schools. And so there's this um, you know, conflicting messaging that we have to navigate through with, with our parents and our community. And Superintendent Looney, I have a email popped up here from a listener who says, I have a child in Fulton County Schools. My concern is that these are going to the. my concern is that the data will in, indicate there needs to be a switch. Is the district ready to switch back to virtual if possible? Absolutely. Uh, we, you know, we were the first district in the state last year when the pandemic hit mm-hmm. to switch to remote learning. And so we're prepared to do that. Um, I, I will just say it's essential that. Um, anybody that's eligible for the vaccine strongly, strongly consider getting the vaccine. We, what we know uh, with the Delta variant is 
that the the infections are much more severe for people that are unvaccinated. So, you know, the good news is that 81% of our employees are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So the bulk of our employees have chosen to be vaccinated. We're hopeful that we can get more parents on board, uh, but we certainly stand ready to switch. I also want to say this, COVID is, is a significant, uh, you know, uh, uh, health crisis for our community, mm -hmm. but the level of spread that's that's dictating our decisions, um, I think it's important for 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 your listeners to know it's one tenth of one percent of the population in a given community that makes the decision to go from mass being optional to mass being required. And so once again, one tenth of one percent is the threshold. When it gets beyond that, the district is going to require masks. The voice you hear from Fulton is from Fulton County Schools and it's Superintendent Dr. Mike Looney. And I want to pick up what you just said, Superintendent, because someone listening says, I understand that. That makes sense. But given that there are so many different pockets within the county, and you and I both know this, and different circumstances. And let's be really clear, too, for different ethnic groups or different households that may have two and three different generations in a household. And again, I know you can't control what happens outside of Fulton County, but that being the case, are, do you feel that you all need to maybe think about changing that metric in terms of what you're using to make the decision that masks are optional? Well, the, the, the metric that we're using is comes from the CDC. Mm -hmm. The CDC defines high-risk spread as 100 cases per 100,000 residents. I've looked far and wide for some other metric that we could base a decision on. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, there's not one. And so, you know, once again, we feel like we're taking a common sense, practical, evidence-based approach to when masks are required or not based on local circumstances. And if I could just describe, you know, use an analogy, when a, when a tornado warning is issued in a, in a county like the Fulton County, you know, it could be very well that the tornado is, is heading to Sandy Springs and will not impact, you know, Alpharetta or mm -hmm. the city of South Fulton. So not everybody in Fulton County, you know, shelters in place when there's a tornado warning because sure. we, we have enough sense to know where, where, where's the data saying it's going to go. And so that's the kind of approach that we're using here mm -hmm. uh, as it relates to COVID management. But also, too, as you understand, folks in certain zip codes may have a higher percentage of the disease of the virus than another zip code and then everyone comes together right. in schools or sporting events which I want to get to as well because what about as it relates to you know football is going to you know football in, in Georgia <laughs> high school football that's big and I also don't want to forget about volleyball and all that but what about at these sporting events what are the mandates mask optional what's going to take place here well for for once once again it's going to be based on the level of community spread mm -hmm. we have had sporting events all summer and we've had practices all summer We've had the largest summer school uh, in Fulton County's history with uh, history with more than 15,000 students and, and not all of our schools. And, and honestly, they were kind of put together in, in a limited number of schools. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have a single situation where we had a quarantine, uh, you know, students or, or closed down programs until just recently. And, and the Delta variant has been around you know, since early summer. So we stand ready to respond and change and pivot if the data indicates that we should. Um, but we, you know, the, the research has shown mm -hmm. that schools do not exacerbate the level of spread in the community. In fact, schools, uh, as it relates to COVID, typically are much more safe than the broader community. 
the challenges and went from those community from folks that come from outside of that you've got to somehow harness that or mitigate the spread as folks come in and out of your buildings and and and, and what have you let me ask you this what have you been hearing from parents a mixed bag in terms of this mask optional protocol well i've been getting about 60 emails an hour last week <laughs> welcome to and, my world <laughs> and, and i will tell you it's very evenly divided mm-hmm um, you know, some people insist that we require a mask of everybody all the time. And then there, there's other folks that, um, you know, insist that if you if you make my child wear a mask, we're not coming back. And so our our community, quite frankly, is extremely uh, divided and fairly evenly divided on this topic. Do you respond? I don't think you have time to respond. You're busy. I, don't I try <laughs> to respond to as many as I can. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, I'm behind but I'm making every effort to respond. I think it's understandable, though. Let me ask you this. What about what do you hear from educators and teachers groups? Um, I would tell you, I think on the on the whole, um, our our educators are simply a reflection of the community that we live in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have educators that are fearful. and We have educators that, you know, think mass should have never been required. Uh, But on the whole, our educators are focused on making sure that when our students return to school on Monday, that they feel welcome, that they feel wanted, and they know that they're worthwhile. And we're going to do that in a way that brings dignity and class to this work, that honors the safety, uh, the emotional and the physical needs of our students, and focus on accelerating their learning. Because last year, many, many of our students uh, checked out of school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from a mental perspective, and didn't learn as much as we really needed them to learn. Well, let's shift for that to, for that into that for a moment because will the educators spend a great majority of the first part of, of the month when the students come back in a in what would be considered an assessment period to find out how much I mean we, I know we use that term learning loss but to find out how much learning loss is there and, and able to assess the students and see where they are we're going to do some of that but that's not our first priority mm-hmm. we're starting with hello we want our students to feel welcome and wanted. And for those students that haven't been physically on a school campus in, in 15 or 16 months, we, we want to make them feel safe. And we want them to get reacclimated to school and, and learn the routines of school before we start giving them assessments. Uh, we know that we're in the people business, mm-hmm. and we're going to start with building relationships first. Well, Dr. Lillie for those parents, is virtual an option at all? Yes, we have. We've opened our first uh, full-time virtual school. Um, we still have slots available for students in grades three through eleven. Uh, we have uh, a capacity of fifteen hundred students, mm-hmm. and the last number that I looked at, we had a, a little bit of enrollment over a thousand, but we still have four hundred some odd seats available. And so, in terms of your enrollment, you haven't lost a high percentage of students who, so far, it appears they're not going to come back. Well, we actually have. We are under um, our current projections by a little bit less than 3,000 students, mm-hmm. uh, and that's compared to the 3,000 students last year. And so at some point in time, we know that those students will likely reintegrate into our schools, and, and that's why we're trying to take a proactive approach uh, and base our decisions on local level of spread to welcome our families back in, in a safe environment. As we begin to wrap up, Superintendent Luna, you joined Fulton County Schools, I think, back in 2019. As I've had this conversation with so many district leaders, look, I know there is no handbook for how to deal with the pandemic. 
and you came in, you, you had a focus. I know you had a focus on STEM. You had a focus on, on reducing dropouts, and now you have this pandemic. But are you able to even gauge how track the district is in terms of your strategic plan and what you wanted to accomplish? And I know the pandemic throws a whole lot in there. So, Well, I will say we haven't lost our focus on what's important, and that is making sure every single student that walks into our door it's a high quality teacher, rigorous and relevant instruction, and has every opportunity to walk away with a high school diploma and a, a, a successful future. And so that hasn't been derailed by COVID. Mm-hmm. It's certainly made it more challenging, but with our teachers and leaders in our school buildings and the support of our parents uh, broadly, I'm confident that we can regain our footing as a community and accelerate for all of our students. And where will you be? Monday. I'm going to be out and about in schools. And so I'll be making school site visits, uh, trying not to get in the way, but letting everybody know that I'm there to support them and, uh, you know, part of the team. And what message do you want to send, not only just to the to parents, but to the students? Because I'm assuming at least some of them are listening to this program. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. First, to our adults, if you're eligible for a vaccine, if you're the guardian of a student, that's eligible for a vaccine, um, please, please consider getting a vaccine, um, not for yourself, but for the betterment of our, and the safety of our entire community. To our students, uh, we, you may not see the smile behind our mask, but know that we're exceedingly happy that you're gonna be joining us on Monday. And I look forward to working with you uh, and making sure that you have a fantastic year in a safe environment. Fulton County School Superintendent, Dr. Mike Looney, thank you so much for taking the time as always. Best of luck, not only to all the educators and to the students, but to everyone within your district. Thank you. It's always good to be on your show. Thank you. Take care now. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. If you needed someone to talk about the joy of hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, if you ever need a spokesperson, I think Lisa Simmons is a good candidate. It was an adventure. It was an epic journey. It was an experience of a lifetime, and I'll never forget it. And I did make it to the top, 19,341 feet. It uh, took everything that I had, and it was uh, just a remarkable place. I I would highly recommend doing it, uh, anybody doing it, yeah. That's from October of 2019 when Lisa Simmons returned to Closer Look to talk about that trek. By the way, it is the highest mountain in Africa and the highest single freestanding mountain in the world. Well, Lisa is gearing up for another trek, and there's another reason besides having a passion to hike all these incredible, incredible places. Well, joining me now is Lisa Simmons, along with Don Cheery, who's the executive director of Blaze Sports America. Lisa and Don, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rose. It's so nice to talk to you again. Yeah, uh, this is the most, yeah, I'm excited. But Lisa, let's get to the giddy up, as they say. (laughs) Did you wear the Closer Look with Rose Scott t-shirt up? You never really told us. Did you wear that t-shirt when you were out there? I I actually did wear it. I took it on the trip and I wore it on the trip. And by the time I got to the top, 
I don't think anybody wanted me to wear it again. <laughs> that- uh, well, we appreciate that. Let's let's talk about what's been taking place the, this last year. We've been in this pandemic, obviously. I don't. I don't. I, I'm gonna take it, Lisa. You haven't been able to travel much. Uh, how, how have you been handling that? Because you love to do this. Yeah, I uh, had. I've had two trips canceled because of COVID. The one in 2020 was to Mount Elbrus, and that's in Europe. It's mm-hmm. Europe's tallest mountain. And they shut that down. And then I rescheduled it for this year. uh, And it was also canceled. So for whatever reason, um, that part of the world is not reopened. But luckily, I was able to uh, catch this trip to Peru, uh, to Machu Picchu with a group of women um, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was not my first priority. Uh, My first priority was to do one of another one of the seven summits, which mm-hmm. uh, is my interest. But because I couldn't go anywhere else, this looks like a, an amazing opportunity. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I also just want to talk to you about, do you have some concerns? Because we know that in certain parts of the world, look, they are having access issues to the vaccine or just overall vaccination rates, and particularly when we talk about some regions where it's less than, than 1% and 2%. Do you have some concerns, though, traveling internationally, Lisa? Um, oddly enough, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, I, I'm going to wear a double mask on the plane and in pu- large public areas. Um, I feel extremely healthy. I've been checked out by different doctors. So, you know, I'm thinking positive. I'm really keeping a positive mindset and a positive attitude that this is going to go off as well as Kilimanjaro. I want to bring in Don to the conversation because I want to I want to make the connection here for our listeners before we get all up into what Lisa's going to do next because Blaze Sports America is so important to so many people and it, like you all I don't know like me I've, I've been watching the Olympics and we know that the the Paralympics are coming up as well and also that we we know we have the Special Olympics in this country Don for folks who may not be familiar with Blaze Sports America tell them what's about yeah thanks Rose um, Blaze Sports has been around for 25 years, um, just like the uh, 1996 Atlanta um, Olympic Games, because we were started from those games. Mm -hmm. And a group of philanthropic Atlanteans, when the Olympics were coming here to Atlanta in 1996, really wanted to have the Paralympics here in Atlanta. It's the first time in its modern day iteration that it was held in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I really applaud them for being on the forefront of that movement and saying, hey, if the Olympics are coming here, we want the Paralympics here as well. And from that, um, you know, people saw the power of the Paralympic sports and how impressive these athletes are. And Blaze Sports was was formed from those Paralympic Games. And to this day, we have the same mission. We serve veterans and youth with physical disabilities um, in that adaptive sports role. So whether that's weekly programming or major events, like we have our own little mini version of the Paralympics called the Peachtree Paragames, mm-hmm. but we're serving those athletes that are physically disabled um, through the world of adaptive sports. And with the pandemic, I ask you the same question in terms of, ask, at least, you know, last summer, obviously, a lot of things that normally happen just didn't. How did you all shift and how did you get through all of that? Yeah, great question. We were, like most of the world, we were shut down for for a period of time. We felt an 
in increasing pressure as you know schools and some of the other conversations you have to see what we could do and what we could adapt to because with physically disabled athletes it's a little bit harder to maybe go outside of your front yard and play a pickup game of basketball mm-hmm. you know and with our veterans they face intense um increased social isolation and so just like a lot of the interesting school conversations you were having it was what can we do quickly what can we shift to to help deal with some of these, you know, um, special circumstances. And so like schools and everybody else, we went virtual as soon as, you know, we could with, you know, archery sessions. It seems, you know, a little bit odd to have archery virtually. Um, But we went and took as many of our sports virtually as we could so that we could have that connection. We then last July were able to shift and see what could we bring back? Could we bring back much smaller sessions. So Mm -hmm. could we bring back wheelchair basketball, but instead of 30 kids, could we have eight outside with masks? And so it's been an evolution. We're happy to say that um, we're of course watching what's going on right now, but knock on wood about a month ago, rowing, outdoor rowing was our last sport um, to come back. Mm -hmm. And so as of today, we're fully back in person, but of course monitoring what's happening right now. I imagine, especially for the youth, um, you all being able to see them. You know, we talked about, the superintendent talked about can't see smiles behind a mask, but you can definitely tell when a young person is excited about something, you are able to to witness that again like like you're used to. Right, absolutely. And it's so important for our athletes to, to have that camaraderie. And a lot of our athletes don't necessarily have peers in the school system. So even though they may be on Zoom with their classmates, those classmates may or may not also have physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. So that connection that is so important that is still happening through other mechanisms like the school, we need that to happen with their peer set as well during this time. I want to bring Lisa back into the program because (laughs) my producer and I, Daniel, we were talking, you know, I wonder why she went from, from Africa now she's over in in Peru. What, What, I guess now because of the pandemic, what goes into you deciding, okay, I'm going to try this next. And and, and why, Mm -hmm. why, why Peru? Well, you know, like I was saying before, after I did Kilimanjaro, I thought it was very intriguing and a personal challenge to hike another one of the seven summits, which are the tallest mountain on every continent. And the next one I've read uh, was the next logical progression in in this series, Mm -hmm. one in Europe that I was mentioning earlier, Mount Elbrus. Um, so my heart was really set on going, you know, to hike that and I already had everything planned, but COVID happened. So, um, you know, you just adapt mm-hmm. just like we're talking about, you adapt to your circumstances and go where you can. And, uh, Machu Picchu is certainly a sort of a bucket list kind of hike and uh, one of the major, it's, it's called one of those seven, seven wonders of the modern mm-hmm. world. Uh, and it, it just looks really very historic and fascinating. Let me ask you, Lisa, physically, how do you prepare for a track like this? Because there's nothing well, in Georgia that I know of that compares. <laughs> there, there's, there's no way to prepare for the altitude. And, uh, but, you know, I can be in the best physical shape that, that I possibly can. And that requires a lot of training. It requires a lot of strength training lunges, squats, you know, uh, hiking. I've done numerous hikes up and down Stone Mountain. Um, But, you know, the altitude is something very unique. So 
I didn't really have a problem in Kilimanjaro. You know, I felt a little lightheaded around 17,000 feet, but um, I think that I'm going to be just fine. I believe you told me that, you know, since you almost have to train your lungs to adapt, is if I remember correctly, you talked about that, something like that? Well, a lot of cardio involved. Yeah. So I have a, a new machine that I, that I work on at home that I've been able to use that's just been fantastic. It's a Bowflex HIT trainer and with that high-intensity interval training. So I've been doing a lot of that and a lot of weighted backpack hiking uh, with my pack, you know, 40 pounds. And so I, I, I do feel prepared. You know, that's one thing I feel prepared. What from Kilimanjaro are you going to take with you for this next trek that might have been a challenge that now you feel like you will be able to to adapt and, and maybe be better prepared for? And did you say 40, a 40 pound pack? Yes. Yes. That's like mm-hmm. eight pounds of of those five that's like eight of those five pound sugar cane packages right <laughs> something like Bags that of <laughs> yeah yeah when you put it like that it, they're heavy uh, but what do i take i think that mentally i'm just uh, more at ease mm-hmm. uh, both traveling internationally by myself until i meet up with my group and then also just um, dealing with the unexpected because stuff does happen on these kinds of trips. And, and I, I feel like I'm better prepared mentally and physically for this trip. So uh, I feel a greater sense of ease. Now, maybe, maybe that's not warranted, but I, I, I just have a greater sense of ease with it. And you're with the group. So you all there can uh-huh. support each other and, and cheer each other on. How important is that? Oh, it's very important. And I'm going with all women again, just like I did for Kilimanjaro. And we have another female guide who is Peruvian. Mm -hmm. And so it's always a unique experience when you can bond with other women over this kind of experience. Because, you know, you just get into the girl talk, you're hiking, you're talking, you're laughing, sharing stories. It's just a it's a fun experience. And it, it doesn't feel competitive in any way at least i have a listener who wants to know that uh how often do you all stop for breaks and then do you spend the night and is there a certain number of miles that you want to get in and that was actually going to be one of my questions too yes um i'm actually going to be gone for 10 days and we will be in sleeping bags under tents um <laughs> for a lot of the trip so you know, you rewear clothes, you rewear socks, and so on, and uh, that's okay because everybody's in the same boat. But um, we're going to be hiking um, over a period of ten days, and I'm actually going to be hiking after Machu Picchu to another summit called Rainbow Mountain, and that is a very uh, special place in Peru. It was recently discovered, I think, in the last three, four, five years, something like that. Mm-hmm glacier melted on top of it and it revealed this beautiful strata of rainbow colors on this mountain range there's only one other place in the world like this and that's in china so after machu picchu i'm going to keep going with three other uh friends and then we're going to keep going up to rainbow mountain i want to bring don back into the conversation because lisa there's a reason she does this not just because she likes to hike and you know climb up high mountains there's a reason behind this because uh, 
the proceeds that Lisa gathers and everything, she always donates back to Blaze Sports. She does, and that is uh, that's so monumental for us. I mean, the funds are are amazing for any nonprofit, but also Lisa's work of just telling the mission of adaptive sports, and you know, to to climb for those who may not be able to climb for themselves, and and that was you know all her on her own when she started these. She wanted to go out and find an organization to give the funds back to. We are so fortunate that ultimately that organization um, was Blaze Sports, but. You know, it's, it's just as meaningful for her to be telling our story. As we talked about the Paralympics, uh, you know, adaptive sports are kind of in the news and everyone's talking about them now, but it's really meaningful work and mission critical to the people that we serve. We serve 365 days a year, every day. And so what Lisa does is she brings those stories of those athletes and even this, we were emailing back and forth a few weeks ago and right as we were going to summer camp and I mentioned that, you know, um, some of our kids need scholarship to go on to, to summer camp that we host every year. And Lisa was right on it. She said, I got it. You know, my, my people want to want to help send kids to summer camp. And so, you know, you can't um, you can't ask for more than that to have somebody that's passionate. And, you know, I think it's it's really interesting when you have someone that is so involved and so passionate about a nonprofit that may not have that immediate connection. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got, we, Lisa does not have a child with um, a physical disability. And so it shows that how, you know, when we see this a lot, I think in the Atlanta philanthropic community, you can really care and be passionate about an organization, even if you don't have that correct that direct connection because there's so many organizations doing such great work here in Atlanta. Well, and let me ask you this uh, because Don, you you came in as executive director in a pandemic, and mm-hmm. as someone who works for a nonprofit, we understand the importance of folks and their philanthropic d- dollars. I know, and I just said this to the superintendent from Fulton County Schools. There is no handbook for how to deal with a pandemic, but you're coming into a situation where you're relying on, you know, donations, you're relying on the, on the, the philanthropic endeavors of so many people. Now, as you've been in this and doing the pandemic, are you having to switch and change your strategic plan for you all at all? We are in, you know, it's, we, we often talk about silver linings and there's probably not a lot of silver linings about the, about the pandemic other than maybe, some increased time with family, but we had the time because we're, we're so heavy on programs to actually sit back and look at some strategic plans and think about what can we do differently? Are we serving the right people? Are we, are we offering enough programs? And so we have made shifts during the pandemic. We've actually expanded programs during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. One important expansion was in our veteran community, because as I mentioned, we were talking about the history of Blaze. Our mission has always been to serve those with physical disabilities. Well, in the news, even during this Olympic times, we all understand that mental health has become a priority and Mm -hmm. has really risen to the top. And we were having those conversations for the last year or two at Blaze and the pandemic gave us time to really sit down. And so starting um, earlier this year, we actually expanded our veteran services to include veterans with PTSD and some of the mental disabilities. We always served those that would, if they had a physical disability and PTSD. So we, we have certainly have that population, but not solely, um, you know, one of the mental disabilities. And so that's 
I think with everything going on with mental health, we all see the importance of that and offering our services to that group as well. Do you feel you all are reaching uh, enough folks? Is there a, a particular demographic within this population that you feel like you all really need to have an, an, an extra push or initiative or campaign to reach a, a specific, whether it's a part of you know the Atlanta community, a specific ethnic group? Do um, you feel like you all are doing enough? I, I don't, actually, because we have capacity to, to, to serve more people. Really? And that's a good problem for a nonprofit to have because a lot of nonprofits we all see are, are bursting at the seams and kind of people waiting to get service. But we have veteran programs five or six days a week now. We have four youth programs, all with a competitive track, either to collegiate or the Paralympics. And I will say we can serve more people. So I would love for everyone just to check out our offerings because in almost all of our programs, we have capacity. So we would really, we're trying to get onto the west side of Atlanta. We know that that is an underserved community across mm-hmm. all across all sectors in Atlanta. Across all, there's lots of nonprofit to work to be done there, but that community we would really want to get into. Because I tell you, Rose, there's so many people that have disabilities that do not even know about the world of adaptive sports. They're mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. They might first get diagnosed. They may have had, a, it may have been something like an arm amputation or a accident and they're not thinking, wait, my sports career isn't over. And our youth athletes will tell you that. We had a youth athlete that was in a terrible car accident. It was avid into sports, bad car accident when he was six or seven years old. And one of the stories he tells is that I thought my sports was done. I thought competitive sports was done. He's an amazing athlete. He's going to play college basketball. He's going to the Paralympics. And so I just want to say we have capacity to serve more people in Atlanta. Well, now that you've said that on, on this program, we're going to make sure that uh, you all can get over to the west side and, and help some folks. And, and Lisa, I'm going to give yeah. you the last word. When you heard what Don said about the importance of the work that you all are doing, and then also you taking this message around the world because of your, you're doing this to, to bring not only just funds but awareness to those um, with, with physical disabilities and to say it's not you are not limited in, in thinking you can do something more. So how important is that for you? I think it's everything. And that's one of the reasons I chose Blaze Sports is because I've seen the power of what they do for kids and veterans in transforming their lives. So after a devastating, either, a, you know, an accident or, or something like that, uh, actually seeing people's lives keep going mm-hmm. and moving on because they do have this outlet. They do have this camaraderie with their peer group. They do have the opportunity to compete. And all of those things are really, really critically important uh, to physically disabled people. And we should give them that opportunity. And Lisa, do you need another closer look with Rose Scott shirt or WABE shirt? What you need? We, We will send it to you. I have got the original one, and I shall be wearing it in Peru, and I'll take a picture and send it to you, my dear. <laughs> I promise. Lisa Simmons, along with Don Shuri, the executive director of Blaze Sports America. First of all, Lisa, best of luck to you. Keep Thanks. us posted. Can folks follow you at all on social media or find out how you're doing, or is that... Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, Lisa Simmons on Facebook, Lisa R. Simmons. 
and um, I've got a Twitter account, Living Large Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be we'll be sharing as as Lisa sends us photos on our Blaze Sports social media accounts. We'll be sharing as much as we can of Lisa's journey as well. All right, I I, I feel like we should throw in a WABE some type of travel mug or something for you too. <laughs> We'll send that to you. Lisa and Don, thank you so much. Lisa, best of luck to you. Thank you so uh, much. Rose, it's so great talking with you again. Yes, thank you, Rose. We appreciate you. All right, now. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. Of course, this is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. And as always, you know, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. And, of course, we have a podcast because who doesn't have a podcast? And you can find us. It's free wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.